The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Please subscribe, leave us a review. It helps us. When you have a child that has a mental health disorder, it can shake your whole world. It's tough to know how to give the right support. It makes you rethink your life. It makes you rethink your child's life. It can feel like a hopeless place sometimes. Our guest today is Jan Stewart. Jan is the author of Hold On Tight, A Parent's Journey Raising Children with Mental Illness. The book is coming out on March 8th and is available for pre-order on Amazon or all the other big book retailers. And you can learn more about her work by going to janstewartauthor.com. Jan has an incredible story and I'm excited for you to hear it. Check it out. Every time I would bring up a concern with the pediatrician, he would say to me, Jan, your kids are just fine. It's you. You're a triple type A, overly vigilant mother from New York City. Calm down. Mm. Now, I know that doctors, and I'm, I understand this, see a number of parents who needlessly worry. And they have to take that into account. But in our case, they're kept being sign after sign. And it was finally when our older son, Andrew, who's now 35, but at the time he was nine, when his mental health disorders really burst forward suddenly out of nowhere, that we were able to get the right help. It was quite a shock. Yeah. So what did that look like? Or what type of conditions do they have? So, uh, and of course, diagnoses with parents and children change over time. Mm -hmm. But I would tell you the umbrella is that Andrew has autism, Tourette syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, and significant learning disabilities. And his younger sister, Ainsley, who's also grown, has also a Tourette syndrome, ADHD, and learning disabilities, and she has severe mood and anxiety disorders. So it's been quite a handful, quite a journey, and always will be for them. That sounds so challenging, or you have these ideas of what you think your life's going to look like, and I'm sure that just shakes everything up. Without a doubt. I think one of the key insights, and I write about this in Hold On Tight, but it hits just the nail on the head with just what you were saying, Bobby, is that children's mental health disorders throw every family member's life into disarray. And I remember, and still happen sometimes, you know, fear, anger, resentment, just wanting to give up. But you learn to accept that your life won't be as planned for or hoped for. And that's the way you can move forward. It, it sounds like dealing with the stages of grief. It's not dissimilar. So then what steps did you take to start getting the right support for your children? The doctors aren't first listening to you. What do you do then? Well, I think they're listening, but they're discounting. So let me back up and explain what we went through, if that's okay. Because sure. I think I think that will make it come alive. So Andrew is a baby. Never talked to himself. 
in his crib, never played, constant hand in circular motion, both feet and hands. These are just a few of the, what we later learned were neurodevelopmental markers, but of course we didn't know at the time, we were new parents. We did an experiment with him. He had no self-regulation when it came to feeding. And you know how the doctor and parents always say, just feed your baby till they're full. Well, we fed Andrew five bottles and he didn't stop and he was quite happy to keep going. And it was quite a like, whoa, what's going on? We had to learn to control him. And interestingly enough, he was equally happy when we just fed him one or two bottles didn't matter. There was no self-regulation. So then the doctor's telling me, calm down. When his sister came along, she was far easier as a baby and toddler. And we relaxed and thought, this is great. But what happened was my gentle, loving, loving son enters kindergarten through grade, middle of grade three, where we had increasing concerns with impulsivity, anxiety, tics. He couldn't hold a pencil or write. My daughter, the exact opposite, out of control behavior, disruptive, rude, shouting out, jumping on desks, sent to the principal's office every day. And then what did we see with her? Fragility, increasing, paralyzing anxiety. Again, tics, learning disabilities, social cues, didn't understand what her friends were saying and slowly lost every friend she had in the neighborhood. You can imagine the impact that she had on her self-esteem. It's amazing how neuroscience and assessments just change over time. Like in the 70s, doctors would be like, they're just weird or something. And now we have so much more information going on. We do. We still, I mean, it, it's still terrible. There are so many parents that face years of misdiagnoses, wrong treatments, wrong medications for their children. When I say we're oddly fortunate that Andrew's Tourette syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder burst out when he was nine, we're oddly fortunate because it was so horrific and it was so severe that then it was clear when we saw psychiatrists who specialized in these disorders, what these disorders were and we could get the right help. So what was that process then? You see the challenges, how do you get the right doctors on board? Well, it for us, it meant that we had to wait till Andrew's disorders burst forward. Then our pediatrician said, you're absolutely right. This sounds like OCD. We didn't know it was Tourette at the time. Um, so we got referred to our downtown Toronto Children's Hospital, which is world-class. It was fantastic. But there, what's interesting is the psychiatrist who is absolutely wonderful and dealt with Andrew's OCD in a great way, said to us, he has co-occurring conditions and we in Canada have one-tenth of the population of you in the United States. If you can get to the United States and find a specialist who deals with these multiple mental health disorders. So what did I do? I got on the phone and I called 20 different hospitals and psychiatrists in the United States. Because we're in Toronto, I wanted to be east of the Mississippi. And I kept hearing the same name, Dr. Joseph Biederman at Mass General Hospital, Department of Neuropsychopharmacology. He is fantastic. And so I contacted him and we were again fortunate. We only had a five month wait. 
but we did get in and then both kids got started on the right path. Now that's from a psychiatric medication point of view. You wanna complement medications with therapy, different therapeutic approaches. So again, that psychiatrist in Toronto referred us to a great psychologist who dealt with OCD. And from there, we found a number of other psychologists. And as the kids, by the way, grew and their diagnoses changed a little bit and adjusted, they needed different psychologists and different approaches therapeutically. You know, in one case, my son and his, his fantastic psychologist, they worked together for over 20 years, but they outgrew one another. This is not atypical. My daughter's psychiatrist in Toronto, who is great, veered her practice more into cannabis. So she needed a new psychiatrist. So there are challenges and bumps along the way, but they're not necessarily bad. You just have to have hope and persevere, keep at it. The key really is research. I could see families listening to this and being a little intimidated of like, I have to call doctors all around the country or something. But I think my key takeaway from that is just putting the effort in to reach out and see what resources are available. Like that effort can translate to anyone. Oh, yes. And I would tell you, while it's still very challenging, it's easier today. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking a number of years ago where, as I said, I didn't know any other parent experiencing what we were. The first relief I had from a community point of view was with Andrew's psychiatrist in Toronto, where we co-formed and co-created the OCD Parent Support Group. And finally, we had help and support. And then I advocated and volunteered from there. But the research, you have to be systematic. You have to just keep at it. I will say it's universal. It doesn't matter if you're single or married, if you have substantial financial resources or are struggling, you can do that research. Now, the internet, let me just make one point about that. It's a fantastic source of research, as we all know. But with children's mental health disorders and with disorders in general, you have to be a little wary and careful and verify the information. I'm sure, Bobby, you've heard certain celebrities, for example, talk about that autism comes from vaccines or can be cured. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence of any of that. Autism cannot be cured today. It seems like working with all these doctors, it would be a little foreign, like the doctor obviously knows more than you. But it makes me think of my work I did as a foster care case manager, where it's like my role was to build a team around a child and then get everyone on the same page and shape the general direction of their case. Is that kind of the role you have to be in as you're almost like the case manager of your child? You hit it on the nail again. To me, partnership and teamwork are everything. So that means, I'll give you two quick examples. In Andrew's case, his psychiatrist and his psychologist have always regularly communicated with each other and with us so that they can adjust medications and therapeutic approaches. With Ainsley, I talked about her out of control behavior at school. Every month, her school met with us as a group, principal, teachers, her external psychologist and us, so we could adjust course. Didn't always work, but at least she was able to stay in the classroom most of the time. And this continues throughout life uh, as the kids entered the workforce with Andrew. He's had certain employers who've been great, 
and certain not, it's all about partnership. How open are you with your children as you're doing this? Do you talk to them like, this is your condition, this is what we're doing? You must be open with your children. You know, children's mental health disorders are frightening for children. They know something's wrong. They're causing havoc, they're causing pain. They don't know why things about them are swirling out of control. And the key is they want help. Even if they don't say it, they want help. So you first must sit down with them. You must listen, validate their fears. Be open, don't avoid or hide topics. I can't tell you how many parents I counsel who say, well, my kids might not wanna take their meds, so I'm going to call them special vitamins. Don't do that. You know, it's that kind of thing. You wanna educate and empower them so that as they grow older, they can increasingly self-advocate and be involved in their own treatment. You must have an extreme level of patience because it's easy to feel for children when they're being somewhat pleasant, but when they're being mean or really difficult, that just makes it hard. How do you keep that patience level up? I wish I could tell you I always did. I don't think any parent does. You're not an mm -hmm. angel and you're not perfect. There have been times, of course, where I've lost it. I know these disorders are not the kid's fault. And I was very careful as my husband was when they were little. Uh, some parents have said, you're bad children, you know, it's your fault to make sure they understood neither was the case. We separated them from, their, from them and their disorders. But there are days and still are where I feel like crawling into a hole and disappearing, where I've gone to church and I'm not religious to, to pray. There are just days, sometimes you have to separate yourself and go out even for 10, 15 minutes so you don't lose it. Yeah, there, it must be a lot of work to just be kind to yourself and take care of yourself because it just yeah. seems like a huge weight. Being kind to yourself is so important. Um, I wear a necklace most of the time that says strength on it that I was given, and it reminds me of my fortitude and strength. But equally important, Bobby, I try to remind myself to forgive myself from my mistakes. Let me give you an example. I have two examples. One day the kids had had a great day at school. It was a cold, snowy evening. And we had been invited to drop into a neighbor's two houses down, just my husband and me for 10, 15 minutes. We thought we'd be fine. This was unfortunately at the height of Andrew's what's called storms and rages that are associated with Tourette's syndrome, and we didn't know it yet. So he would burst out for no reason, obviously stress and other things, but with two hour screaming rages, uh, I mean, terrifying, ranting, raging, swearing, kicking, punching holes in walls. I mean, it, it was terrifying, but the kids had had a great day. So we went and came back 10, 12 minutes later, and Ainsley was in the snow, terrified he had started a rage, shivering barefoot. And I thought to myself, I remember this so clearly, that we were living in a home with an abuser. And the home, and the abuser was not Andrew. It was his mental health disorders. And it took me years to forgive myself for putting Ainsley in that position, for having left her for even 10 minutes. Oh. On the other hand, with Andrew, I gave him unrealistic dreams. 
Andrew has limited cognitive and intellectual capabilities that go with his suite of disorders. He's a charmer. But I told him, you can, from childhood, you can be and do anything you want. You know, I was given those parenting lessons. You give them confidence. And he believed it. And so as high school ended, he wanted to go to MIT. Well, he wasn't a candidate for any university or college. There was no way he'd gone to a special school throughout. And the fact that I gave him unreal dreams upset me for quite a while too. So you have to learn to forgive yourself and to pat yourself on the back for doing your best. You always hear about divorces when children are dealing with these types of conditions. I imagine you have to really make an effort to be right in it with your spouse and be kind with them. Oh, you're so true, Bobby. So these disorders play havoc with marriages and partnerships. The stress and strain, as you can imagine, can be overwhelming and debilitating. I've heard many parents blame one another, accuse one another. They can undermine each other. Lots of disagreements, particularly about medications. You know, one parent will say, I don't believe in medications. I don't believe my child needs medications. I'm afraid my child's going to turn into a zombie, for example. And these divisions divide spouses. It can heighten the risk of divorce. And then it becomes a vicious circle, of course, for the child, because it's already, there's already chaos at home. And that's the last thing you need. My husband and I are very fortunate to have survived as a couple. Uh, of course, we're not immune to the challenges. There are times when the kids' care is so overwhelming that we don't have any time for each other, much less ourselves. But the key is we lean on one another. We trust one another. We even joke about the genesis of the kids' disorders. You know, I point to David. He has a restless leg. And I'll say, aha, ADHD. And he'll point back at me with my perfectionism and say, aha, back, OCD. It doesn't really matter from a family perspective, interesting from a clinical and research perspective, where these disorders come from. What matters is you act harmoniously in the kid's best interests, and then you have hope and there's help and you can do it. What are Ainsley and Andrew up to now? I am so proud of them. They still obviously face a lot of challenges and they know that their lives are going to be an emotional roller coaster with cycles the rest of their lives, but that's okay. Andrew works at one of Canada's leading telecommunications companies, Rogers Communications, and they've been a truly inclusive employer. He's able to get himself to and from work every day. And he has great charm and joie de vivre. It's actually infectious. In fact, I tell a funny story of a few months ago, we were both taking the subway down to our respective places of work. And Andrew got off first and I got off several stops later and a well-dressed man in a suit approached me with a $50 bill and said, I was listening to your son and I was so impressed, please give him something to buy. I said, thank you, I can't accept it. But that happens to Andrew regularly. In Ainsley's case, She's a very gifted child and youth counselor. She works in a grade one autism classroom and has the last couple of years. And I'm convinced, Bobby, that it's her own lived experiences and her intrinsic knowledge of her brother that have made her such a valued resource. Well, Jan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It was great having you on the show and I'm wishing you the best luck with everything and your new book release. 
Oh, thank you so much, Bobby. I'm quite excited. Thank you, Jan. It was great getting a chance to talk with you and hear about your story. JanStewartAuthor.com. Hold on tight. A parent's journey raising children with mental illness. Get the book on pre-order. This has been The Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.